Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Road Show. My name is Karen Jensen Salisbury. I'm your host for today. I'm so glad to be here, and I'm glad that you're here. Today, we have a really special guest. I'm so excited about this. Pastor Penny Maxwell is with us to talk about her new book, Setting Broken Bones, Let God Heal What Hurt You. Pastor Penny, welcome to The Road Show. Oh, my goodness. So glad to be on your show. I can't wait. It's going to be amazing. It is. I'm planning on it, too. Well, listen, listeners, Penny and her husband, Troy, pastor Freedom House in Charlotte, North Carolina. She's written three books, but her first two books were cookbooks, which is kind of fun. And then uh, they have three children. Colby and two daughters, Cable. Is it Cable and Cassidy? It's, it's pronounced Cable. Cable. Okay, yes. and Cassidy. So, Pastor Penny, tell us right off the bat, why did you write this book? Uh, I wrote the book because, um, you know, if I'm being honest, when my husband and I moved to Charlotte, North Carolina to plant Freedom House, our church, um, if you would have asked me on a scale of one to ten, kind of where I was with the Lord. I would have said, oh gosh, I'm like a nine or 9.5. Me and Jesus, we're like, we're super tight. You know, uh, my husband and I love each other. Our kids are amazing. Life is great. Um, but when we came to Charlotte and began to um, start planning the church, the Lord just really started showing me areas of my life that, um, you know, it's kind of like the the dust bunnies that get underneath your furniture. Your room <laughs> looks really clean. Yeah. Um, but if you look underneath and you do further inspection or you lift up your, your couch cushion, there's some Cheerios under there. Um, <laughs> and I felt like I had some spiritual Cheerios. <laughs> yeah. And so this is a, a really a book about your life to help other people. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I think a lot of people look at myself or look at my husband and they just assume that, oh my gosh, you're pastors, you have a great family, you have a great life. And although that is true, um, they don't understand the journey and what we've had to walk through and the pain and choosing to heal because you actually have to choose your healing. And it was a very painful process. And so that uh, process has been difficult, but it's been the most rewarding thing that you could possibly imagine. Yeah, I like it. As you, I'm reading through the book, it you use the analogy of broken bones because some people's never get set right because they don't want to go through the pain of getting things right. Yeah. So what what happened is I had a friend who was in a skiing accident um, long ago, and she just struggled for a while. Um, her nose was slightly crooked. I mean, it wasn't obscene or anything. Um, it bothered her that it wasn't symmetrical. But what was really difficult was at night, she would have some breathing issues, and the breathing issues would cause some sleep issues. And it was kind of like the ripple effect which is what happens in life when we don't attend to things that need to be attended to. And so I was like, well, just go get it fixed. And she said, are you kidding me? Do you know what that looks like? And I was like, well, you've already broken it once. I mean, you already know what that feels like. And she's like, that's exactly the point. She said she would have to choose to go through that breaking all over again. And most of us, we know that maybe something in our life that that broke us. Maybe we were like her and we kind of went off in the trees and ended up with something broken. Um, we knew that we got broken, but we, we just wanted it left alone. And so it healed, 
where you could still function, but it wasn't fully functional. And the only way to truly heal is to have it rebroken. And most of us are like, yeah, no, (laughs) I'm not signing up for that process. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, you say only God can heal and reset our broken places. And by hard experience, I've learned how to cooperate with him. Yeah. Well, I mean, think about it. When we're going through life, the breaks that happen, they are they just happen unintentionally. Life hurts us. We go in the proverbial trees. And when you have to get in the doctor's office, the great physician's office, if you will, and God says, I've got to re-break this and reset this because this, this is not what I intended for you. Then what you're saying is, is the first time I got broken accidentally, but now I've got to sign up for pain. And yeah. most of us don't want to sign up for pain and the journey that ensues. But of course, it turns out well. Yes, but we can only see in the moment at times. We just think, do you know how long that's going to take me to recover? You know, I might have two black eyes, so to speak. I really just don't think I want to go through that. I'm getting by and I will continue to get by. Right. In chapter one of the book, you talk about um, an incident with your son and the accident. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I had just finished a a business meeting and we had been, it was the beginning of the year. So we just finished casting vision for the year and I was meeting with my staff and I was so excited and it just was such a great day. And then I get this frantic phone call, you know, about my son being in an accident. And all I knew, I didn't know the ins and outs. All I knew was it was bad. It was very bad. And it was what should have been 10 minutes from my house. But it was so hard to get to him because traffic was so backed up. Um, I could hear the sirens. I was watching as all these cars, um, emergency vehicles were going by and fire trucks and police. And the, the problem was is that I couldn't move anywhere. And so I actually did something and I thought I could get in major trouble for this. But if I do, if a policeman comes after me, maybe he can get me to the accident So I started like going on, I off-roaded my little SUV, my Yukon XL, and started off-roading and just weaving in and out and honestly hoping I'd have a police officer pull me over. And um, I was able to get probably three quarters of a mile out before there was no more, um, you know, off-roading I could do. And I just parked the car, took off my high heels and ran on the pavement the rest of the way. Wow. And what did you find? When I got there, my son's car was upside down. Um, There were people getting put in an ambulance and taken away. Um, I was trying to comb through the wreckage and find him. Uh, My heart was beating out of my chest. I saw the windshield of his car was laying out. And then finally I looked around and he was standing up on a grassy hill and the officer was talking to him and I just felt like I could exhale. But my biggest thing was that he was okay, that he he wasn't hurt. There were other people injured, but it was no, from what I'm told, there was no life-threatening injuries. That's good. Praise God. But I know that 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 was kind of a turning point for you. It kind of made you realize there was things inside of you that needed to be healed. Is that right? Yeah. It's like the process of not realizing some of the bones that are broken in your life. And it was like God said, you're going to get on the operating table and I'm not giving you permission to get off. 
So I stood there on the little grassy hill looking at all the wreckage. And by this point, um, you know, the police officer had talked to me and he let me know that um, where my son had his accident is called Dead Man's Curve. And that when there's accidents there, the coroner is always called. And he said, you got lucky today. Well, I knew that it was more than luck. I knew it was God's hand. But I just remember saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And the Lord asking me a very specific question. Do you trust me? Wow. And I'm thinking, well, what kind of question is that? I'm standing here in the midst of a wreckage and my son is okay. Like, of course I trust you. And he's like, that's not what I mean. What I want to know is if he wasn't okay, if he was um, in the corners, the back of the corners van, would you still trust me? And so that was a moment that literally God arrested me on the hill and I had to answer him. And I I said, you know what? How about if we have this conversation another time? I'm a little bit busy right now. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, you can imagine, right? Right. Right. And, but then you mentioned a a phrase that I liked. You said you had to crucify your fear. Yeah. And it was just like, the Lord was literally prompting me and asking me questions, like right in the middle of this. And I just said, you know, I really, I know your, your timing's supposed to be great, but right now it doesn't feel like it. (laughs) And I'm like, (laughs) I'm trying to focus on all that's happening because my heart is still racing. And he said to me, no, I need to know, do you trust me? And I said, God, of course I trust you. I mean, look at me. He's like, no, no, no. If he wasn't coming home, would you still trust me? And I had to stand on the hill and say, you know what, God, I do. I trust you, not because of an outcome, not because of something you can do, but I trust you simply because of who you are. And I know you have my best in mind, even when it doesn't seem like it or doesn't feel like it. So yes, I trust you, but why are you asking me that right now? And he said, because when you get off this hill, if you haven't made that determination, every time your son leaves the house or every time your two teenage daughters leave the house, you're going to have this sinking pit of fear in your heart if you don't crucify that right here, right now on this hill. So I also had to crucify something on a hill that looked a lot different. But I had to crucify fear and say, I will not allow this fear to overtake me, and it's not going home with me. That's so good. And I know that all of this comes out of, you know, you use your own childhood and growing uphood in this book a lot because you grew up kind of dysfunctionally, right? So this is a very way big process for you. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you don't realize how dysfunctional you are until you get around people that aren't. Because, you know, I remember um, just thinking, well, I'm pretty functional because of who I compared myself to. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's your normal. (laughs) Yeah. This is normal. But I started realizing as a teenager just how bad things were, how things weren't right, even though they may have been my normal, they weren't God's highest and best. And so I had to start really going through and say, what things from my childhood were actually me growing up broken? What are things that I need to right this minute um, say, Lord, I realize this isn't okay. And there were things that I held on to that I thought 
were normal, that everyone thought that way, that everyone felt that way. And God was like, yeah, no, no, you're, you're going to have to hand these things over. And to be honest with you, since I wasn't a drinker, didn't cuss, didn't do drugs, didn't smoke, you know, had a good marriage, had a good family, didn't lie, cheat, steal. I'm like, seriously, can you not give me a break? <laughs> I mean, all of my family does all of those things. <laughs> uh, can you not give me a break? And he's like, no, you you have a calling on your life and there's a standard that I want you to live to because you're my child. And I had to be willing and accept and acknowledge that there were things that I needed him to do surgery in and I couldn't keep slapping a Band-Aid on them. Yeah, yeah. You talk in the book about how your father wasn't really present, but when he was, he was drunk, and you experienced sexual abuse from your grandfather. You know, Mm -hmm. when you're writing a book like this, how do you hope that maybe people who are listening or reading your book have similar stories, painful stories? Do, Do you hope they can relate to this, and do you help them make your way through it? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is if you can't acknowledge things that happened in your life, then it's still painful. And there's a difference between a scar and a scab. And I think there's a lot of Christians walking around with a lot of scabs. And a scar is one thing that says, hey, this is something I healed from. It's just a reminder of what I've healed from. But a scab is still very much vulnerable. And I think what happens so many times is God is saying, you know, I want to fully heal you. But we don't necessarily um, want to acknowledge what that looks like. Well, what is that healing process going to look like? You know, what what do I have to acknowledge? Because when I had to acknowledge, I mean, I was a child when I acknowledged what my grandfather did. I was around 11 or 12. But the reason I acknowledged it, and it had been happening for so many years, um, wasn't because I thought anybody would believe me. Um, or because of what he did to me. It's because I found out what, that he was doing it to other people as well. And the sad thing is I was more protective over them than I was over me. And I didn't have enough courage to go and tell just for me. But when I realized that I wasn't the only one, I knew I had to do something about it. I knew that I had to step in and stop it. And that's when I went forward and the police got involved and things were uncovered. And, you know, our family, um, there were some aspects that here I am, this kid, and I'm getting the blame for ruining the family. I'm like, how about we point the finger in the right direction, which is a dysfunctional man, you know? Right. Right. So I think that's one of the things that I see a lot of people that are dealing with and that are going through is that they are walking through life and their family, they're accepting the dysfunction of their family. And I, even as a little kid, I was like, this ain't right. I mean, I don't know what all to do about it because I didn't have the mental aptitude, but I knew my checker was saying the box aren't checked right. Something's wrong. So that was, I think, part of it. And I can address the thing with my dad too. Um, as well, if you'd like. Yeah, let's do that in the next segment. Listeners, we're talking today with Penny Maxwell about her book, Setting Broken Bones, Let God Heal What Hurt You. It's published by Charisma House. Let's take a quick break. But when we come back, yes, Pastor Penny, let's talk about your father and about the process of maybe exposing some of this dysfunction and how we can get set free. And maybe let's talk a little bit about marriage and what happens when broken people try to use their spouse to get healed. Yes. (laughs) Stay with us, listeners. 
I'm David Warren here with some exciting news for Oasis listeners. We have a new mobile device app. It's free, easy to download, and lets you enjoy our refreshing music and talk everywhere you go. If you have an Android cell phone, go to the Google Play Store. And if you have an iPhone or iPad, visit the Apple Store and search for Oasis Radio Network. Be an Oasis ambassador and share this news with family and friends around the world. It's a great day on the Roadshow. I'm Karen Jensen Salisbury, your host for today. We are talking today with Pastor Penny Maxwell about her book, Setting Broken Bones, Let God Heal What Hurt You. And Pastor Penny, in the last segment, you mentioned talking about your father, and we're talking about dysfunction and how to get free from it. Go ahead and talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so interesting thing. Um, My biological father was never really in my world. The first, I think, year and a half, him and my mom were together, but my mom married him because she got pregnant with me, and this is the second time. You know, you're talking about 1970 and 1971. My mom had children in back-to-back years and was single. She was not married, and so there was a lot of stigma, um, and so she turned around and married my father. Uh, She did not marry uh, my half-brother's father, but she ended up marrying mine just to try to cover what had happened. And it didn't last very long. Um, He had an alcohol problem, was a cheater. My mom had her own issues. And um, we can talk about that in a later segment. Um, But it was a very tumultuous relationship. So here I was born into that. My dad, my biological dad actually didn't want me. There was a lot of talk about abortion and being legal and you could get one. And so he actually pushed for that. Um, but you know, my mom opted to have me. So that is one thing I am thankful for. Um, but my, my father was dysfunctional from day one. And so when I would see him, which was usually on a major holiday, like Christmas, he was always drunk. Um, he had been married five times and had girlfriends on the side of every marriage. And that was just his normal life. I remember being a senior in high school and him asking me, is a particular girl? And I'm like, I don't know why. And he's like, well, she's in your homeroom. And I was like, how would you know who's in my homeroom? And he's like, oh, well, all I got to say is she's 18. And I was like, what does that mean? And he's like, well, you know, she's one of my girlfriends. And it was like a girl in my homeroom class as a senior in high school. And that was just how he was. And he was always drinking. He was always chasing women and he was always thinking about himself. And so I always knew he wasn't safe and it wasn't like I ever trusted in him in anything, but it was an example of yet one more adult in my life who I couldn't trust, who wasn't safe. My grandfather obviously was not. My mother was not. And we can talk more in detail of that in another segment because that's pretty extensive. Um, my grandmother was not safe because when she was told what her husband did, um, she chose not to believe me until everyone else started coming out. And then, then there was evidence and, you know, the whole arrest and conviction and all of that. So there was no choice, but there was never an apology by anyone. There was never, 
you know, we're sorry that you've gone through this. We're sorry these things have happened. It was more along the lines of we just want to save face. We don't want people to know. Um, And my biological dad, you know, the example I had from him was don't care about anybody. Do what you want. Do what feels good whenever you want. Um, And interestingly enough, um, I really never saw him that much. There was a period um, he passed away a few years ago, and I hadn't seen him at that point. Um, for probably 20 years and not even at Christmas, I hadn't seen him, but I got a call that he was sick and on his deathbed. So I flew up there and was able to pray with him right before he passed. And I did his funeral Wow! and I did an altar call and all of his crazy friends, um, <laughs> half the room got saved. Cause I was oh. like, there's no way I'm not going to take this opportunity with all these people in this room right now. That is great. So, Pastor Penny, somebody might be listening right now who maybe had a kind of a similar background or, you know, hurts from their growing up hood. What would you tell them? How do you get past that? Well, you know what? That's such a good question because I remember at the funeral, um, because my dad was um, uh, such the playboy, he had children all over the place. And there were children of his that were at the funeral. And they were all struggling. And they were struggling because he'd never been a father. He'd never done anything. He'd never, he was vacant. He was never present. He, they were all struggling. And I was the only one that wasn't. And they were like, why are you not mad? And I said, because my expectation was not on him because he was incapable of being what I needed. And if I were to try to place the things that I needed to make me whole on a man that was so broken, I would be left hurting and grieving every single time. He was not capable. The only one that was capable of filling my need is my Heavenly Father. And so that's actually what led me into being able to have the altar call because everyone that was there was so angry and mad. I mean, it wasn't like people came to the funeral thinking, man, this was such a good guy that passed. Everybody knew that he wasn't a good man. He had hurt so many people. But my expectation, I did what my husband had told me long ago. He said, you need to raise your expectation of God and lower your expectation of people. Because I think you've gotten that off. And I remember him saying that to me and realizing that I needed to course correct. Yeah, and that leads us really right into chapter four, which you call marrying broken. And you say, you know, I don't believe there's such a thing as marriage problems, which probably freaks people out. But you say what they really have are unaddressed, unhealed individual problems that they brought into the relationship. And they've got, you know, the people in the wrong place. They're expecting something from their husband. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so... um my husband and I have been pastoring almost 30 years, and I hear people say, you know, I'm having marriage problems, I have a marriage problem. And every single time through all these years when we sit down with people, I'm like, these aren't marriage problems. These are individual problems that it's like adding gasoline onto a fire because you never healed and you never allowed these areas to be made whole. So you're trying to be whole with someone 
and both of you are a hot mess. And <laughs> it's not a marriage problem. It's a problem where we are going into something thinking it's going to solve our issues, and it doesn't. It'll actually make things worse if you don't start to address what your issues are, because now there's somebody there. Like when you have issues, you can kind of scoot past some of them and think, ah, you know, I'm fine, I'm whatever. But when you're in a relationship, relationships are like shining a flashlight on your areas. And the reason that is, is so you can find healing. But what many of us do is we we take that flashlight and we feel shame instead of allowing God to heal that area. We try to cover it and hide it. And I did that in the early stages of our marriage because of all the people that had hurt me and betrayed me and and all of these things. I was very suspicious of my husband. And he had done nothing to cause me. It's one thing if somebody is doing things and you're suspicious because they, their sketch, but my husband had done nothing, but yet I'm like putting him through this filter of, I just need to make sure you're safe. I need to make sure you're safe. And I wasn't saying that, but my actions were. Right. Because you'd been so unsafe growing up. Yes. Yeah. That was a common theme for me. Sure. I like what you wrote here. Your husband sat you down and said, I'm a really great husband, but I'm a lousy Jesus. I will never be Jesus to you. Yeah. And I think that's what most of us do. We think, you know, if I get that new job, it'll fix this situation. You know what? If I get married, it'll fix this situation. If I just made more money, if I just had a baby. And what we find is when we're not chasing the someone and we're chasing the something, we are going to end up with problems. And so basically, you're saying, turn to Jesus. And let's talk about practicality. When when we say something like that, turn to Jesus, what do I do when I wake up in the morning? For me, I had to, the biggest um, thing for me was arresting my thoughts. And what I mean by that, um, there were different things that were issues for me. And I think each of us has our own areas. But I had to stop um, skirting over issues and say, God, I will allow you to point these things out, and I know it's going to hurt when you show me the areas that I need to heal, but I'm going to allow you to point these things out. And it's like the woman at the well. Jesus is like, oh, you're not married? Oh, yeah, you've had five, and the one you're living with now? I mean, she could have just run away and said, how dare you? How dare you talk to me like that? But she was like, man... I think you're a prophet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's allowing God, because I'm sure once he talks to you, then you have a choice to obey him and change it and ask him for help, or you gloss it over. Absolutely. And I think on your own, you can gloss it over. But what I did is I said, I realized that every area of my life, I, I think as Christians, um, those who are listening that are Christians, We tend to think everything is a spiritual problem, and I've had to really work with Christians on that and say, no, that's not true. Um, And then people that aren't Christians, they think everything is your will. If I can just break my will, if I can—I'm like, yeah, no, that's actually not true. We are a three-part being. We are a spirit. We live in a body, and we have a soul, and it's the same thing. Um, We are made in God's image, and He is a three-part being. And when we don't acknowledge all three parts, we're literally saying, you know what, God, I'm denying part of the Trinity right now. Hmm. 
And we've got to address our spiritual issues. We've got to address our soul issues, and we've got to address our our body, our flesh issues. All of them. Yeah, and you mean face it. We have to admit and face things. Yes, because I could say, you know what? I'm just going to pray this away. Right. <laughs> you know. Well, I mean, think of it just practically. Say someone was struggling and they're 800 pounds. Right. But I mean, we'll just go for 800. And if I just said, well, you know what? You're a Christian. Just pray. There's probably a little bit more you need to add to the prayer. Yeah. Maybe let's figure out in the soulish realm, like what emotionally caused you to get in this position where you couldn't hear your spirit or what physically do you need to do? Maybe we need to start you walking or start some kind of movement, but let's have our our spirit, our soul and our body all working in cooperation instead of just focusing on one because they all affect each other. They're all intertwined. And so I just tell people when you address a problem, address it all three areas, not just one, because they do cooperate with each other like the Trinity cooperates with each other. There's a specific role and a specific place, and it doesn't mean that one is more important than the other. It means that they each have a function and they're to cooperate with each other. Yeah, that's good. Listeners, we're talking today with Pastor Penny Maxwell, author of the book, Setting Broken Bones, Let God Heal What Hurt You. Pastor Penny, how can we get a hold of your book? Well, it's on Amazon, so you can just um, look up Setting Broken Bones on Amazon, uh, and it'll be delivered to you overnight if you are in the Charlotte or surrounding areas, all of our campuses. Um, they are in the lobby, so you can pick them up there as well. And we can find out more about your church at freedomhouse.cc, which is in Charlotte, right? And we yes. can uh, connect with you on social media, right? Yes, I'm at Penny Maxwell. Um, and you could also, uh, we are online for the church on the weekend, so you could go um, to freedomhouse.cc and watch online, watch past messages, We're on YouTube, so we're all over. Okay, let's take a break right now. When we come back, let's talk a little bit about breaking victimhood, as you call it, and maybe how to change our inner dialogue. Stay with us. The Roadshow is a listener favorite, which airs each weekday here on the Oasis Radio Network, starting at 1 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Central. The Roadshow also has a great section on our website, oasisnetwork.org. There you'll find audio archives of select past interviews, plus guest lineup and contact information, and links to our Roadshow sponsors and its host. So join us for The Roadshow, whether on your radio, computer, or mobile device at oasisnetwork.org. Welcome back, listeners. I hope you're enjoying The Roadshow today as much as I am. I'm your host, Karen Jensen-Salisbury. We're talking with Pastor Penny Maxwell about her book, Setting Broken Bones, Let God Heal What Hurt You. And I think, you know, all of us who've been alive more than 15 minutes can say that something at some point in our life hurt us. You know, um, Penny, I like that phrase that you use in the book called Breaking Victimhood. Let me just read 
a little segment here. It says, The body of Christ has weaponized empathy and empowered victimhood. We say we need to understand what a person has gone through. We justify their inaction in the presence of broken bones. But isn't it time to tell people there's a healer? Isn't it time to explain that on the other side of pain is true hope and abundant life? How about we quit stroking their victim status and get them to face their mountains head on by faith? How about we overcome some stuff? Stuff. Man, that makes me want to run around the room. I know, right? <laughs> Talk about that a little bit, breaking victimhood. Yeah. So I, when I talk to a lot of people about their healing process, one of the first things they say is, but you don't know. Uh-huh. But you don't know. Um, and it could be, but you don't understand having the color skin I have. But you don't understand being a woman in today's society. But you don't understand my family of origin. But you don't understand the household that I grew up in. But you don't understand. And I'm just like, oh, so what you're telling me is that the blood of Jesus wasn't enough. Yow. And they're like, no, I'm just saying, like, this is why I'm the way I am. And I was like, well, isn't that what Jesus died so you could be an overcomer? But what has happened so much, and this is the thing that has um, disappointed me with a lot of churches, just to be honest, is we have gotten so caught up in appeasing people's flesh that we're afraid to say the things that people really need to hear because we don't want to look like we're mean or unkind. Or, But I watched the last two years, I watched the victim status be elevated, and now we, we placate to people's victimhood. And it could be from anything to, you know, like I was saying, gender, skin color, economic status, like your emotional issues. We are elevating um, unhealthy behaviors. And the truth of the matter is, is in Galatians, it says that when you become part of the kingdom of God, like your bloodline is hooked up to the bloodline of the cross. You're no longer male or female. You're no longer Greek or Jew. You're no longer slave or free. It's like your status, you know, your gender, your color, those things are not first and foremost. What unites us is the blood of Jesus. And so I get annoyed when I see churches or organizations elevating someone because they're like, hey, we got to have a woman in this position. I'm like, well, is she qualified? Is she doing what she needs to do? Is she, because so many people, they're elevating people on the wrong things. And the thing that gets me is that I could very much have said all the things that I went through. Well, I need to pass on this. Do you know how traumatized I was? Do you know how hard it was? Do you know, like, I have a right to live this way because of all the things I've gone through. And I didn't start off with a fair advantage. And I grew up in a household where all these things were happening. I didn't have privilege. There's so much thing talking about, well, you've got privilege. and you. No, being abused every day and living in the mess that I grew up in, you, you can't call somebody privileged because of the color of their skin or because, well, this person grew up with money or this person. You know, I think all of us in some way, we have poverty. It may not be our pocketbook. It may be in our soul. It may be um, our minds are running wild, but I've never met somebody that didn't have an area of their life that felt like they were struggling with poverty and they wanted to overcome it. And Paul talks about the thorn in his flesh 
And I think all of us have at least one area that we could talk about. They're like, man, you know, this feels hard. You know, it feels like something I, I can't get through. But I know that the Bible is so specific that says that God's grace is enough. And I don't think that we believe that. Yeah, yeah. And spending more time, of course, thinking on what God says about us than what the world says. Yeah, and even the church is allowing people to identify with their flesh. And I'm like, I'm, you know, I spend so much time right now telling pastors, like, they're getting on bandwagons. And I'm like, why are you doing that? <laughs> you are literally propping up victimhood right now. You are placating to what the problem is right now in our culture and in our society. Instead of standing up as the church and saying, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, this isn't okay. And the truth of the matter is, is we've been duped. And I could tell you there are things for um, years that my husband and I probably didn't talk about from the pulpit like we really needed to, because we wanted to make sure that, that unsaved people could come in, and certain things probably seemed a little harsh. But two years ago, um, when the, the government kind of came and inserted itself into churches, we were like, oh, no, like, this is a battle. There are things that have to be said, that have to be done. And we feel like that empathy was weaponized and used against the church. And honestly, um, if you look around, it's being used in people's lives to say, well, if you just had empathy for me, you would know that I can't overcome because I was born into this or born into that. And I don't think there's anything in the Bible that I could find that says it's okay to be a victim because of what happened. And and I get, like, I'm not saying that um, racism or sexual abuse or domestic abuse or poverty or any of those things are okay or that we should think they're okay. But I think what happens is we've used those things to as a pass to say, you know what? I don't have to grow. I don't have to change. This gives me a license to kind of stay where I'm at. And I don't think that's God's highest and best for us. Right. You talked about, so you breaking victimhood, you basically did, like in chapter five, when you talk about when the things that started coming to the surface, once you allowed God to help you heal, you talk about changing your inner dialogue. And that's really how you overcame. Yeah, because, you know, when I think about um, being a victim, I was never like, woe is me. But what I did do is I saw patterns that were keeping me bound and God just started revealing them to me. So one of them is because I grew up in a household with a narcissistic mother, the abuse from my grandfather, that was to be expected. And I knew exactly what that looked like. That was actually not as painful as growing up under narcissistic abuse. Because the narcissistic abuse would flip-flop all the time. It wasn't consistent. And just that Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing would always leave me on pins and needles. And so I didn't know if I was going to wake up and it be a day where I was abused or if it was going to be a day where it was like, you're a good kid. Here's a dress because I feel bad about what I did to you yesterday. And so what that created in me it created in me like waking up every day with a fear of what's going to happen next. And the Bible refers to it as evil foreboding. And it's, it's like this fear of waiting for the other shoe to drop. And I remember if something good would happen, I would be afraid it was going to be taken away because it would. 
And when I got out of my household and I still carried those things, I remember having a baby and going, oh my gosh, what, what if something happens in the night? Or getting a new car and wanting to park it you know, far away because I got this good thing. What if it gets damaged? Or I've got this new job. What happens if tomorrow I come in and they don't need me? Or it's like always rehearsing um, the worst case scenarios. So intending to prepare myself should tragedy come because it always did as a kid. You know, I was in an environment where it was very unhealthy. But when I'm not in that environment anymore, the same things my body would do to protect me, which is like rehearsing all the scenarios so I could be safe. When you are doing that and you're no longer in the scenarios, then God is going to say, hey, you're not five years old in your house anymore. Now you're 50 and you've got to deal with this. You can't keep these patterns and behaviors because it affects your other relationships. Yeah. And so basic, you're talking about renewing the mind, like it says in Romans 12. Yes. I mean, I literally had to wake up every day and, you know, we have fleeting thoughts that come through our mind. And I decided I was no longer going to have fleeting thoughts, but I would write my thoughts down. That way I couldn't just let stuff bounce around. So when I would have a thought, you know, like, like the day on the hill, you know, what if my son, what if this, and what if my kids leave the house? And what if that I would write that down? And then I would say uh, a scripture over it and say, Lord, I thank you that you're my protector, that you're my fortress. You're a very present help in time of trouble. And those thoughts would go away But because I didn't pretend like they weren't there, it's the slightest little hint of one of those thoughts bouncing around. I'd write it down and acknowledge that first I truly was having the thought. And then second, I would say, okay, now I'm going to uproot it. I'm going to pull this up so it has no place to grow. That is so good, man. Listeners, if you didn't hear anything else she said, that's your key right there. That's exactly what to do. I love what you said. We have been given the power to speak life into our marriages, into bad relationships, into negative health diagnoses. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, the Bible is so specific. And in the beginning, in Genesis, God spoke things uh, into being, and he gave us that same power And we have DNA in our mouth, not just physically, where if they swab somebody, they swab them in their mouth because there's DNA. We literally have DNA. We have creative power with our words. The Bible is very specific about that. And so I knew that I had to start creating the right things with my words and tearing down the wrong things. And so when I would have a uh, situation that would happen, I would just start declaring God's word over my situation and not settling for what I saw or even what I felt in the moment, but just saying, you know what, God, I declare your word today. If it's healing I was believing for, I declare Isaiah 53, that by your stripes I am healed. You know, if it's my mind that I need to rest God, I thank you that I have the mind of Christ. If it's peace I need, I would say a scripture that said, God, I believe your peace passes all understanding. And so allowing the word of God to be what dictates my life and not my random thoughts that come up um, because of a, a life that, that was tumultuous. But now, you know, I just turned 50. It's like the Lord, he won't let me off with acting like a five-year-old anymore. <laughs> <laughs> And and the thing that I learned to do also, which I think is very important, is not get mad at my body or 
my mind or just not go get frustrated with myself because my body is doing things that I taught it to do to keep me safe. So having those thoughts where I am hypervigilant, I had to do that as a young kid to survive. I had to be on my toes and thinking of every scenario, every escape route. And so when that happens now, I can say, listen, I'm not five years old anymore. Penny, thank you, or little Penny, or whatever you want to say. Thank you for keeping me safe all those years. But right now, I am good. I have the Lord as my shield, as my protector. And those feelings that are trying to come up right now um, that are hypervigilant or worst-case scenario, like, I don't need those anymore. I have outgrown those. And so I am good. So good. Listeners, you're listening to Pastor Penny Maxwell of Charlotte, North Carolina. We are talking about her book, Setting Broken Bones, Let God Heal What Hurt You. You can get the book on Amazon. Just search Penny Maxwell, Setting Broken Bones. And you can find out more about her husband and she and their church called Freedom House in Charlotte at freedomhouse.cc. When we come back, let's find out how Pastor Penny knew she was finally free, and maybe we can get her to share a couple of life hacks with us. We'll be back after this. I'm David Warren, Program Director at Oasis Radio Network and one of the hosts of this podcast. All of our hosts enjoy hearing from you, our listening family, so drop us a note. Our email address is roadshow at oasisnetwork.org. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and you'll receive new episodes on your mobile devices. And now, back to the show. Welcome back to The Roadshow. My name is Karen Jensen Salisbury. I'm your host today. We've been so blessed to have you join us on The Roadshow, and we've been blessed to have Pastor Penny Maxwell with us talking about her new book, Setting Broken Bones, Let God Heal What Hurt You. So, Pastor Penny, when did you first begin to realize that you were really set free from the pain of your past? You know, I, I think that what happened is I, the process of arresting thoughts, it became second nature. And I was able to talk about things uh, freely. I was able to share my story. And I think um, that for me is that healing is an ING. Um, it's a continual process. It's like you could go to the gym and have lost 30 pounds, but you've got to maintain that. It's one thing to do the work. But now you have to go into maintenance mode. And so I did the work. I I did the work. I did the things I needed to do um, to allow God to expose. Because honestly, that's the first step is allowing God to expose. It's like going to the mall and you walk in and you're really not sure where you are. So you go to the board. You know where you want to be, but they can't send you to the right store or, or the right department unless there's a little sign that says you are here. So I think all of us have to find the you are here mark. And when we, when we know where we're at, when we truly know where we're at, then God is able to say, now here's where I want you to be. This is the path to get there. But I think so many people don't acknowledge. And that was something that I wanted to do. And I know my dad and my um, father-in-law both passed away from alcoholism and neither one of them would ever admit the you are here. And I think that is the first step for listeners is 
look at patterns in your life that have been things that you know that it's been a struggle. And it could be an addiction like alcohol or pornography. It could be something like, you know what, I I get angry and I don't know why I get so angry or, you know, always feeling like um, somebody else has something that you don't, that God has left you or, you know what, I don't know if anybody could ever love me or just any type of thought pattern or process that doesn't line up with the Word of God, and it'll always show out. So alcoholism isn't about the alcohol. Sexual addiction is not about the sex. Um, Food addiction is not about the food. It's all a deeper thing inside. It's trying to cover itself, and your body is doing what God made it to do, which is to try to heal itself. When When it's not guided by our spirit, it's going to try to heal itself in the, the flesh. And our flesh, gratifying our flesh, is not where our healing comes from. It's allowing our mind, our will, our emotions to be submitted to our spirit and that cooperation again. So I think for me is when I really start acknowledging and then through the process, of, it's not difficult anymore when God says, hey, I need you to pay attention to that. It's not taking me two weeks to hear him or to go, fine, whatever. <laughs> it's like, got it, I'm on it. You know, so it's not like you just wake up one day and everything's great and nothing happens. Sure. It, it's, you know, to go back to the analogy of someone who lost weight in the gym, it's acknowledging, oops, I'm two pounds above where I need to be. This means I need to make sure I'm focusing on this so I don't go back where I was. And just spiritually doing the same thing, making sure your emotions are in check, um, making sure in relationships always bring out your issues. So if you hide yourself, if you withdraw, those are signs in and of itself. There's something that you're hiding because you don't want other people to see it. But a healthy relationship will draw those things out, not so they can ridicule you or critique you, but so you can find healing in relationships. Yes. In chapter six in the book, you talk about some barriers to healing, including pride and condemnation and offense. And we don't even have time to talk about that one. And then, in, but the, we'll just have to get the book and read it. In chapter eight, you talk about life hacks and you've got some amazing stories in there. You talk about how God has given us weapons to fight life's battles, but we don't often know it. Mm, yeah. I, I think that is so true because, um, For me, I think what a tragedy for us to get to heaven one day and God saying, I gave you all these tools and resources and you never used them and they stayed in the drawer. And I am just kind of one of those people where I'm like, God, every single thing that you died to give me, I want to use it. I want to use it. And so some of the things that I do just to help me is first thing in the morning, um, I'm doing a check on where I'm at. You know, I'm figuring out where am I? Like, what is it today that I need to arrest? Or digging into God's Word and not just digging into it because I've got a message that I need to preach for the weekend, Yeah, but digging into it because of my relationship. I think another thing that is so important, and honestly, so many Christians skip this, is just the importance for a counselor. 
Now, when I first talked to my husband about um, me going to counseling or him going to counseling, because he grew up, his mother was a drug addict. I mean, not a drug addict, a drug dealer. She was a dealer. His dad was all addicted. And I think what happens is, um, you know, especially for some of the men that are listening, counseling feels weak. Why? I'm not going to go talk about my problems. I'm not talk about my problems. I'm a man. I don't, I don't want to do that. So yeah. what I had to do was just be a little bit smart when I went to my husband. And I said, hey, babe, if you wanted to get better at golf or better in business or better at these things, what would you do? He's like, I'd study. I'd read. I'd get a coach. And I'm like, exactly. I think we need a coach. Because men can relate to football and coaching. And, <laughs> you know, in the gym, you get a coach. And so I said, let's get a coach. And that was more palatable now you could say counselor or whatever else, and he's good. But in the beginning, I said, we need a coach. Because just like to go back to the gym, a, a coach at the gym is going to make you do more reps than you would want to do on your own. A coach in the gym is going to tell you when you're doing something or handling the equipment inappropriately because they don't want you to get hurt. They're going to tell you what other things you need to focus on. They're going to say things to you that other people might not be able to say. You know, this is your BMI and you're off. You know, not everyone can say that to you, right? Right. And so I think having a a counselor or a coach um, is so important that it'll really help a lot of people if you get a good godly counselor. Um, that was life-saving for me because things that I knew weren't okay that I was growing up, they confirmed, no, that's wrong. No, that is absolutely wrong. You know, i just give you an example. I thought it was okay for parents just to slap their kids across the face. I thought that was okay. Yeah. That was just part of discipline. I didn't know. I mean, I, it felt wrong to me, and I knew I would never do that to my kids. But the way that my family, you step out of line, you're getting smacked across the face. And, and the shame and what that can cause when you discipline your kids inappropriately Um but, you know, I've had people in our church that told me, you know, it's common in our culture. We just got spanked with shoes or extension cords or hair brushes or, and, and, you know, what I know is there's a difference between disciplining your kids appropriately. And I'm so angry right now. I'm going to take everything I'm feeling out on you. That is not discipline. That is abuse. And it's not done from love. It's done from anger. And so those are things that I had to reset my mind because I thought, well, you know, I, I, my parents said I deserved it. They said I deserved it. And you grow up listening to what you're being told. You know, I, I remember one time my mom pushed me and I fell down the stairs. I was like, well, if you wouldn't have done that, that wouldn't have happened. It wow. wasn't that her behavior was inappropriate. It was like, well, gosh, I guess if I wouldn't have done that, you know, and, and going back through and going, no, that was abuse. Or here's a big one. Here's a huge one. My, my stepfather um, he never did anything that I would ever consider abusive, but actually sitting in a counselor's office, I was like, he didn't, he wasn't abusive. He was nice. He was kind. He wasn't there for us and he didn't protect us, and he didn't, but, but he was nice. He didn't hit us. He didn't scream at us. And the counselor was like, oh, so he wasn't the sin of commission. He was the sin of omission. And the counselor said, you realize that's just as abusive because your stepdad could have stopped it and he never did. And I sat there going, oh, wow, boy, was my mindset off. I'm thinking he's the hero and she's the zero because he never backhanded me and never pushed me down the steps. So he's nice. And I didn't understand just how dysfunctional certain things were. Yeah. 
Listeners, we've been talking with Pastor Penny Maxwell today about her book, Setting Broken Bones, Let God Heal What Hurt You. You can find the book on Amazon. Just search the title and her name, Penny Maxwell. Pastor Penny, before we go, will you pray for our listeners? Absolutely. Father, we just come before you right now. You said that we could come boldly to the throne of grace and obtain mercy and help in a time of need. And all of us just come to you right now, God. We say, help us in our broken places. Help us with our wounds. Help us with our past so we can be made new. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being on the road show with us today, Pastor Penny. My honor, my pleasure. It's been wonderful. Listeners, thank you for being with us today. On behalf of the Oasis Network, this is Karen Jensen Salisbury and my special guest, Pastor Penny Maxwell. We're saying thanks for listening today. It's been another great roadshow. You've been listening to The Roadshow. If you'd like to write to us, here's our address. The Roadshow, P.O. Box 1924, Tulsa, Oklahoma, 74101. Our email address is roadshow at oasisnetwork.org. The views of today's guest aren't necessarily those of this station, but we do appreciate and thank our guest for spending this time with us. The Roadshow, an Oasis Network presentation.